I think it's really important to try and establish what the root cause is of what is driving us towards the addictive behavior or the substances and anything that we can support through diet and lifestyle. So that could be neurotransmitter imbalances and hormonal. And then as we've discussed already, the gut, those all need to be looked at. And as you examine those, then the person is always going to be struggling with cravings or um, a kind of feeling out of balance. Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, we have Lindsay Beveridge of Recovery Nutrition joining us. She is a registered nutritional therapist specializing in mental health and addiction recovery support. This is her personal story, but she is also sharing key tips and information that help holistic healthcare practitioners and any practitioners out there trying to work with people who have addictions or mental health issues. I hope you sit back and enjoy the information as much as I have. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lindsay. It really is great to have you here with me. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. We're here today to talk about a couple of different things. One is to talk about your story because you have the courage to talk about the fact that you had a problem with alcohol. Uh, yes, I did have a problem with it. And I realized I, when I started studying nutrition, although I, I started studying it because I wanted to help myself, I hadn't initially planned to go into addiction recovery. And then as time went on, I thought, you know what, it's so useful. And this is what I want to do. And that's when I realized, no, I'm going to have to tell everyone my story. <laughs> and I, um, I had kept quiet about it for a very long time, uh, just because of the stigma that is attached to alcohol addiction, especially when you're a mum, especially when you're a single mother. Um, so it was quite a big thing for me to start being open about it. But I do think it is probably the only way that I can reach the people who I want to reach, and that is by being open about it. Gosh. Okay. Well, well, do you want to kind of start as we've started where we are now? Do you want to rewind and, and go into your story a little bit? I think that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> try. Are you thinking how long is a piece of string? Is that what you're well, thinking? Exactly. About? <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot yeah. of backstory and uh, I have tended to be quite a massive risk taker and moved around and chopped and changed jobs and done all kinds of things. Um, but I suppose in terms of my addictive tendencies, I think I've, I've pretty much always had them. Um, I grew up in South Africa and it's a, a very traumatic place to grow up in. And I don't even want to think about how badly affected every single person who, who has grown up there has, has been over the past few generations and continuing generations as well. I think, I think it's just frightening the, the levels of trauma that people have to go through. Um, and I, I guess we'll keep seeing the kind of fallout from that. Um, but besides that, I also have my mum was an alcoholic and her grandparents on both sides were alcoholics. So it's nice and strong in the genes as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the, oh, yeah, uh, I'm an introvert, which it's, uh, if you if you do any reading around alcoholism, it is a very high proportion of introverts who do have um alcohol disorders um so 
things were kind of stacked up against me and I just really loved it. I think also when you're shy um, and an introvert and then you start, you know, you recognize that drinking helps. And uh, with everything else that was going on, um, you know, I just relied on it too much. And I went through phases in my life where it was manageable um, or I was able to moderate. Like when I was pregnant, I didn't drink at all and I didn't want to drink. And when I was breastfeeding, it wasn't an issue really. Um, but then at other times it's been, it's been really, it's been a, it, it was a massive thing for me. Like in my early thirties, I'd been through a series of traumas that very much related to where I, where I lived in South Africa. And, uh, I coped with drinking and, um, and I was also physically ill, which I've only now as a, as a nutritional therapist, I understand the links between gut health and mental health and how that can affect absolutely everything. And, uh, so yeah. I was, I was in an absolute mess. So in my early thirties, I went to AA, uh, I, a number of people from either in my family or close friends had been speaking to me over the years that I needed to sort myself out. So I took myself off to AA. And then a few months, a uh, couple of months after that, actually, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh. So um, my immediate reaction to that wasn't very, uh, <laughs> wasn't very sensible. I just started smoking and drinking again immediately on my way home from seeing the oncologist, actually stopped off and uh, topped up, bought a couple of bottles of red wine and and some fags and contacted a, the ex-boyfriend of mine who I knew would turn up with some cocaine. And it, it, and, there, and from there it went for a few years, actually. And what happened, the reason why I went for a checkup was because I'd just, I was living in Cape Town and I had accepted a job in London. So I thought I'd go for a full medical. So... And that was found. So I had them sick to me. And three weeks later, I moved to London and started a new job where no one knew me. My gosh. And, uh, and I didn't, uh, this is when I was 32. And I just went wild. I had an absolute ball. It was fantastic for a few years. And, uh, and until I reached a point where it was becoming a massive problem for me again. So um, I then moved up to Manchester also for a job. I was offered a job up here and um, managed to control things for a while. I had my baby. And in that time, I set up my own business as well, started running that. had my baby and my relationship started falling apart and my mum died and my business was becoming extremely stressful. And I, again, I started relying on alcohol just too much and the, and, and the wheels came off completely until I'd reached a point where I was physically addicted, not only psychologically, but actually physically as well, which um, takes a lot of kind of committed drinking to get to that point, really, when you're also still working. And uh, I was even chairman of the PTA. Uh, oh, wow. And, you know, single parents and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. And so then I re recognized that I was either going to die or I had to stop drinking. And uh, so I stopped. Gosh. Did you just, did you stop cold turkey? Did you go and get some, did you go and seek help? What did you do? Well, no, that's it's partly why I've decided to do what I do is because I, I, Felt I couldn't speak to my GP. I was so worried about social services getting involved and my and having my child taken away from me. Right. Um, 
because also I didn't have any family here or much of a support system really. Um, so I felt that I had to do it on my own. I was aware of the dangers of uh, withdrawal, so I knew I had to taper. And it's incredibly difficult to taper, and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I now give talks at a um, at a detox facility, and when I see what they have there, and I think, oh, why didn't I just allow myself to go into detox, allow myself to go and to speak openly to my daughter's dad or to close friends who would have helped me out with my daughter um, or to my family instead of doing it all on my own? Stupid. But anyway, you don't think straight when you're in that position. So I think that's partly why I want to, I, why I am doing what I'm doing and why I am open about it, just so to try and take away some of that stigma so people do ask for help if they need it. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, how you're obviously a very independent woman, very strong woman, even, you know, you say that you had used alcohol uh, to help you become more of an um, extrovert rather than in, an introvert, and you've done some extraordinary things to make the move from South Africa to London to Manchester, etc., it, it's obvious that you're a really strong woman. So I think it can, I can see why you felt like you had to do it on your own because it sounds like you did, you were just that sort of a person. So it makes for an interesting twist in how you reach other people that are like you, because there are a lot of really strong individuals out there who are just making do, aren't they? And they're just on that fine line, not to, I don't want to trigger anyone. This is something we talked about, wasn't it? Is, but how are you pulling people in so they don't feel like they have to do it on their own? I, I'm trying to do it by telling my story and I try not to, to use any language around any form of addiction that makes it frightening or or there's there's also I think one of the reasons why a lot of people step away from dealing with addiction is there is a sense of fear. Um there's there's a sense that there's nothing you can do. Um that once you once you're addicted then then that's it. Um so I I, I try and focus on the positives. I try to stress that that it's not necessarily out of our control that it, it can, we, we can, it's a whole thing about our genes that we can, our genes aren't necessarily our destiny, uh, that there are steps that we can take to, to make things better for ourselves. And, and that, and that it's part of a, it's part of mental illness, really. Um, and to, you know, we don't judge someone for having depression well, we tr well, not so much anymore. I mean, although there are obviously um, there's quite a lot of stigma around any kind of mental health, but there's more so around addiction. So what I try and do is to is to just be very, very matter of fact about it. Well, you're mentioning the genetic aspect. Are you finding through research that this is a common thread? There, there are definite links, but it's a hugely complicated. Area. I mean, I don't. I don't think there's ever any one driver behind yeah. behind addiction. Um, I think if you if you if you look at the causes, it's it's usually a combination of genetic and environmental factors. But there are there are certain risk factors that will make a person more susceptible. So your genetics. Um, and I did have about 
two years ago, I did have genetic testing done just out of interest to see what was going on there. Um, actually, it was, it was sitting in lectures and, and, and doing the genetics lecture and hearing about the gene and how people with quite, quite often women with uh, breast cancer uh, can also have addictive tendencies. I thought, oh, oh God, that just sounds so familiar. I'm going to have my genes tested. And of course, of course, I do have a, a, a COMT um, SNP. So I, I just found it really interesting. I had I have that and then also have another snip on the on the on the GABA, the, uh, one of the GABA snips as well. Right. So anxiety levels are higher, and so lots of us have these snips. But for me, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to become an alcoholic or or have or turn to addiction or whatever. But for me, it's just been interesting to see that okay, that's that's one of the drivers, and there's certainly. Um, things I can do about that. And it turned out the things that I was already doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, back to the different causes. Uh, it's not so we've got genetics and there's also past trauma or current emotional pain um, can lead people to to taking either alcohol or drugs. Um, and then there's things like depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, Apparently, it makes you three times more likely to use either drugs or alcohol to self-medicate. And ADHD is a massive risk factor as well, which I think is very interesting um, because with people with ADHD are more likely to have a genetic tendency towards um, reward deficiency. So they've got fewer dopamine receptors. Really? And then there's age. People who begin drinking or using drugs before the age of 17 are 40% more likely to become addicted than people who don't start until the age of 21. So so in the States, well, we all feel sorry for, for people in the States who are only allowed to start drinking at 21, although obviously not everyone, that, you know, that doesn't really. Um, <laughs> no, it there's, there's, there's a valid reason behind that. I didn't realize that. Now, I can definitely tell you that in the States that people usually are, are drinking well before 21. I certainly was. Yeah. Um, so... So what I'm curious about is you did all of these things. You you were working in, it sounds like a high pressure job. You were doing, you had your own business. And then yeah. what was it that got you into studying nutrition? Because you're, you've just recently qualified. Is that, that correct? I qualified last year. Cool. So October last year. Cool. Exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It's a hell of an accomplishment. <laughs> but but tell me what it was that, that led you to to that. Um, because by the time I stopped drinking, I was seriously ill. I, uh, I had malnutrition. I had um, peripheral neuropathy. Uh, my gut was in such a mess I'd stopped eating for, for quite a while. Um there were all kinds of things that were going on with me that I knew had a lot to do with uh, alcohol. Um, I I went for the it was that kind of post forty five checkup blood test checkup that you go to at your GP uh, your MOT and my blood tests were flagged up and my GP never actually addressed it. I, I had to go back. It, it was, I, I went back about eight times to keep having my blood test and she never ever discussed it with me and I knew all the time she never asked me why how much I drank um she sent me for when it was turned out that I was anemic um which wasn't a surprise to me at all uh and it was very low b12 and um uh folate 
um, she sent me for two different, two separate occasions for colonoscopies because she couldn't figure out what was going on. <laughs> and I just thought, you know what? I have to take this into my own hands. Um, so I just started reading up a lot about it and thought, well, because I'm reading up so much about it, I may as well study it. Um, so that's what I did. And then, and then I, I, I still wasn't really planning to change career. I was still planning to carry on my business, which was a, a conference and training business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I just got started getting so excited about nutritional therapy. Um, I thought this is really what I want to do. Uh, and as I, as I got healthier and healthier and, and recognizing that, you know, there's just so many applications. It's so important. Um, and, and the links between mental health and physical health are so often overlooked. And I, I just, the whole thing is just so exciting. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. No, no. And I think, well, gosh, there's so many things that I could just come back on um, that you're talking about. But one, it's that so from, from a business standpoint, you can still utilize your experiences doing conferences and training, obviously, because that's what you'll be doing is educating people and teaching them. So that must feel equally exciting. And you're right. It's that sense of you have control. You understand why the body is doing what it's doing. And it, it doesn't, it also explains more on why those issues with alcohol can happen. You know, that, that also gives you an understanding of saying, oh, right, well, I understand why I'm having these health issues, why I've had that, the, the problems that I have had with alcohol and now, so what, and with breast cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So now this is what I can do to help myself. And I think that's a real sense for all of us that sense of control and so many people had no clue what we do more now with exciting people the research coming out with gut and brain health so there's so much opportunity out there so I do get the excitement totally yeah and also my mother had lupus and she she ended up dying of 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 Cushing's in the end but she um she was very clued up. She had a fantastic physician who was very clued up about nutrition oh, cool. and treating her that way as well. So she she went completely overboard with the cortisone and alcohol because she had a lot of trauma in her background and was unable to manage stress in any form or whatever. There were lots of drivers there that I understand a lot more about would have what would have made her condition harder for her to deal with. And, and I think the pain and the emotional kind of the depression that she must have been there, you know, having to, to, to withstand and the anxiety and all of that kind of stuff, because if I know how you feel when you drink that, that amount. Um, but she also knew the power of food. So I think I've always known about that. So when I, when I was so ill, I, I knew that looking to, to, towards nutrition was a was a very sensible it wasn't for me it wasn't a wacky idea or anything like that it was it was it was completely um a natural thing for me to do and hence you're equally excited about what you can do to help others i can see i absolutely can see that so so what um I, i'm assuming are you, just as an aside how are you feeling you know you've you've been through from a, a health standpoint just to ask you you you've come a long way are you feeling better uh, 
this is what this is why I think it's just so amazing what we can do. I, at fifty-two, I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire life. I'm fitter than I've ever been. I'm mentally. I don't have anxiety. I don't suffer from depression. Um, even in you know with everything that's been going on in the world in the past ten days or whatever, I'm very much in tune with what's going on with me, and I'm, I've got. I feel that I've got the tools to to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and it's not only through nutrition either. I have to say, I try and get everyone I know to do yoga as well. I think that's just critical. Yeah. So you've got the tools. So what are your tools to dealing with it? And how are you utilizing that in your business? I know you're conscientious of the fact that you'd recently qualified, but you've got a lot to offer people. So this is what I'm excited about is to hear about your own personal toolkit and how you're helping your clients with that. Because I think you have you have workshops you're doing. Don't yes. You? We'll definitely put that in the show notes. But what's in your toolkit? Stress management is so huge. It's it's absolutely massive, and you'll find that anyone who uses substances or, it, or addictive substances or addictive behaviors, they are doing it to. They quite often are doing it to manage stress. So I think it's really important to explain to people how stress affects them. Okay. And give them tools and a variety of different tools that can help them manage stress because what. Any addict, we've been so used to uh, instant gratification. So it's, uh, it's. I found I've got a client at the moment who, after she'd seen me, and then two weeks later, she sent me a message saying that she wasn't coming to any more appointments because she felt that she wasn't getting anywhere. And uh, <laughs> I had to explain to her that it's taken so long for her to get to this to this point that. For, to, ex- to expect not to have any cravings or not to have any or to be instantly able to manage her her stress levels after only two weeks um, that she was kind of expecting a little bit too much. So it's incredible. I know, I know. So in our last appointment, we did, I'm very glad she did come back, um, but we did spend a lot of time talking about how to overcome any form of addiction. You need to find ways inside yourself to manage those unmanageable feelings that that you've that you've used alcohol or other drugs or addictive behaviors for in the past it, it, it's it's you've really, really drawn your internal resources and and so the, a lot of explanation goes in about neuroplasticity and uh, forming new habits yeah small changes um and and that it's that it takes time and that it's hard work so do you do CBT, you know, mindfulness, or do you find that yoga is your go-to, or do you are those all part of your, your toolkit for helping people from a, a lifestyle standpoint? Because I agree with you. You've got to – you can't just make it about the nutrition. I think we have to, as nutritional therapists, you want to take a more well-rounded approach, which most of us do anyway. But are, which do you find you use more or do you use them all? I use them all. I think it, it also depends on the person as well. They, you, the person needs to find what works for them. So for me, yoga works and only a specific kind of yoga. It's Iyengar yoga. It's very measured, very precise. Um, I find with that one, I can switch my mind off. I can, you know, I can really focus on the different muscle groups and it becomes quite meditative. Um, 
a lot of people with addiction issues struggle with meditation. So it's a, it's a case of finding some kind of mindful activity which will have the same effects, basically. But it's, it's a case of giving them a whole menu of things to try mm -hmm. and then someone finding what works best for them. Yeah, that's where we have the ability to help our clients more because we look at so many different approaches, which it sounds like you've got a lot before you even get into the food bits. Yeah, well, absolutely. And the, the, the thing is, with when you stop taking drugs or alcohol, even smoking, you've suddenly got a lot more time on your hand. And what I do is I just encourage people to try whatever. Just try stuff. Just try and it's also a form of connecting with people as well. If you're going along to all these random meetings, yoga classes or gong spas or <clears throat> meditation groups or walking clubs or whatever, just give things a go and see what works for you. Yeah. And what are you doing? We can't help but talk about the coronavirus right now and clients that are isolated now. How are you... What are you doing to help them maintain that sense of connectivity? I am getting in touch with them regularly, sending messages. Unfortunately, the clients who I'm dealing with at the moment don't even use, because I work, I use um, uh, practice better. Yeah. They, they won't even use it online. So it's all paper, paper stuff. So they, they won't do Zoom. So it's phone calls and, uh, and text messages mainly at the moment and it's it's hugely frustrating for me and difficult and I think I I, I am obviously worried about these clients mm. um, because this kind of stressful situation makes you very vulnerable um, but then there's not not too much that we can do about it really no and how do you take care of yourself to make sure you stay in a place that is mindful and you're caring, you're doing your own self-care? Um, I just use my usual tools, yoga, walking. Um, I've, I've, I very much know, because I know from myself, that it has to come from the individual. It has. There's nothing that anyone can say or do. If someone wants to take addictive substances or go back to addictive behavior, you, can, you can't change that person's mind through logic or begging or or whatever all I could do was say that I'm here and try and make sure that you eat and these are all the tools that you've got and kind of have to look after myself as well yes yes you do and I think that's quite an it's a really good learning point for not only for someone who is in that situation which is is really very sad but also an um a, a point of perspective for us as nutritional therapists or practitioners and how your comment of you can't change the person's mind and we actually really can't do that with anyone that we see can we because our goal they come to us we want to help them we want to to help them become their own superheroes but if they aren't in that place irrespective of what's going on in their life how do we as practitioners find ways to make it something that they really can latch on. Do you think about that much? I do. I do. But on the other hand, I, I think, although, especially with, when overcoming an, an addiction, it, it's, it's not like you can cut out gluten and you'll feel a massive effect. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot of hard work and it's, and it's, 
it's you have to fight for it. Um, so the person really has to be willing to make those changes. You can't. It, 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 there's no easy. There's no easy fix for them, and that that's the whole mindset that we're having to get people out of it when they do have addiction problems. Is that it's not a pill for an ill. It's it's got to be. It's your internal strength. Um, it's building up good habits. It's repeating behaviors. It is just hard work. And finding those moments of, of hope. And I don't mean to, it's not a comparison of someone who's got an addiction to someone who has a health issue of, as you say, you remove gluten and it, it is going to make changes in their life. I, I don't mean to imply that at all because I know that they are very different. But there is that aspect from a practitioner's standpoint of how do we provide that sense of support to our clients to help them find those ways to make it about they're making those change and they're taking ownership of of their own health. Does that make sense? Am I am I making sense? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it is a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I, I think we, it's just a case of reminding people how how you can how you can make such a difference to your to your health. So do you want to talk about some of the science of this and what uh, cuz I've been looking at your posts on Instagram which are really really helpful, really interesting, lots of information that you shared and I guess they're sort of snapshots into the courses that you're providing. Do you want to talk a little bit about the science of it? I can talk a little bit about the science about how we can approach supporting addiction recovery um, okay. through nutrition. And I, I will focus a bit more on, on alcohol just because I've got more information to hand from the top of my head, really. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I think that is probably the most common one that our clients suffer from. Okay. So far away. Well, the way that I work and which I suspect other people, uh, just interestingly, not many people, and especially not in the UK, support uh, addiction recovery with nutritional therapy, which I find really, really strange. Mm. Um, if you look at rehab centers in the States or in Australia, uh, and I think even in South Africa as well, there is more of an emphasis on the nutritional therapy side of things. And so I think it's really exciting what we as nutritional therapists can introduce to the world of addiction recovery. Absolutely. Um, and I do find it a bit of a struggle, to be honest, to get um, counsellors and psychologists on board. So the more nutritional therapists that discuss it, the better as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. There's so much more science coming out about it. So, yes, I, I agree with you, providing them papers so they can start reading them and get their head around it. Yes, I totally understand. They like to have the pill for the ill. Not only that, it's also because addiction is seen as a as a mental health disorder. In fact, it's a really confusing area. And on the one hand, it's it's seen as a mental health disorder. So it, you deal with it through twelve step programs and counselling and abstinence. But then on the other hand, I think the the World Health Organization classifies it as a, as a physical illness. So it's really it is quite confusing. But not many institutions or rehab facilities 
treated as a physical illness. So there's not much of a link between the two. Well, it's a whole mind-body connection is completely missing when it comes to treating addiction recovery. And uh, I think I think that's wrong. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll talk through how nutritional therapy can support addiction recovery, and 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 I, and I think it just makes total sense okay. that we use nutrition. So essentially, we work in two phases. So right in the beginning, so supporting the withdrawal symptoms and helping to manage cravings, and working to repair any of the damage that prolonged um, drug use has done to our bodies and brains. And there's a huge amount of damage. Alcohol just does masses of damage to us in terms of it kind of strips the fatty acids from our brains. It strips our guts. It um, leaches all kinds of vitamins and minerals from us. It's, it's not, not great at all. And then once we've dealt with those initial uh, nutritional deficits, I suppose, and try to correct some of that physical damage, I think it's really important to try and establish what the root cause is of what is driving us towards the addictive behavior or the substances and anything that we can support through diet and lifestyle. So that could be neurotransmitter imbalances and hormonal. And then as we've discussed already, the gut, those all need to be looked at. And as you examine those, then the person is always going to be struggling with cravings or um, a, a kind of feeling out of balance, really, which makes it much more tempting to turn to that addictive substance or addictive behavior to try and bring things back into balance. And then we need to look at whether we need to uh, stress management strategies, which we talked about a bit earlier, and then also identify whether there are any past traumas that need to be addressed through psychotherapy or other trauma-related therapies. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that nutritional therapy when we're, when we're dealing with addiction recovery, it is only, it's just one part of the puzzle. And uh, we, we do need to try and work with other professionals. And then the other aspect, of course, is what, what we've also discussed already as well is, is a party genetic and what can we do about it? And there is a lot that we can do about that. We know, we know that now. Uh, and I th- so I think that aspect is really exciting. Yeah. There's so many things that can be done. Do you think that that adds a sense of it restores a bit of um, calm to people when you talk to them and say, actually, your your body is a bit out of whack here and that can explain why you're having these these issues? Do you find that they have a sense of relief or do they do they accept it? Do they understand that? There is a sense of relief and I'm finding that... Uh, a lot of people don't actually know about neurotransmitters, which I found I found surprising, um, because that is a massive thing. Most people who end up with some kind of addiction started off with a neurotransmitter imbalance, and everyone who's had an addiction will end up with one. So that's critical to to look at. It's so important that that is that that is looked at in in, in some detail um, and discussed with. Clients, I, I know from this detox facility where I, I give talks, the, the, the concept of neurotransmitters driving some behaviors or cravings or moods or anything like that is, is completely alien to many of them. And I, I can see like a light going on with some of them when, when I talk about it. But I have had to change my language quite a lot just because it's only a, a short amount of time that I have to talk to them. But uh, 
So obviously the neurotransmitter imbalance is is huge. But don't you find with the the the, the fact that maybe it's a to your advantage that you have such a short amount of time to talk with them because you want the words that they hear to really strike an inner chord with them instead of um, or you know using the words that they're not going to really understand. So they think, okay, I actually can do something about this. Yes, um, definitely. There, there's always a lot of information to try and to try and get across in, in a in a very short amount of time. But that feeling that um, the 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 physical side of things is controllable and that we can support support it, I think does give people hope, definitely. And but it is just a, finding a way of of giving the message across. And also out of that out of those groups, normally only about thirty percent of them, I would say, roughly, actually want to get better. Right. So it's those ones you're talking to. Those are quite um, they're quite sobering statistics. Well, yeah, I think that's why the relapse rate is so high. But it's also because it's so tied up in mental health. Unless people are eating well and they they everything is in balance, they're not people. Don't think you're not thinking straight. Um, if you kind of run through all the nutritional deficiencies that alcohol or other drugs cause, then you can see how it affects the way our brains work. So no one is actually thinking straight when they decide that actually they don't want to. They don't want to get better. It's not a conscious choice, really. When it comes down to what's going on with our brain chemistry, which makes perfect sense. That's going to be out of balance with everything being stripped in the gut. You can see why the imbalances are going to cause that indecision. Period. Yeah. Um, if you if you just look at at some of the the deficiencies that it it, it causes. Um, but alcohol specifically, it causes deficiencies of A, C, D, E, K, and B vitamins, of course. Um, so especially the B vitamins and, well, vitamin D as well, that's all hugely implicated in our in our uh, neurological functioning. So vitamin B6 deficiency, which is what I had in the end, the tingling or numbness in your hands and feet, but it also causes confusion and depression. Um folate deficiency, mood changes, irritability, forgetfulness, anemia, and B12 deficiency. Uh, you know, we all know the effects of B12. That's memory lapses, mood changes, mental confusion, unsteadiness, poor muscle coordination. All of these, I'm, I've, I'm just, I've just got them in front, of, up in front of me. And then we've got um, B1 deficiency, which is Obviously, it's a big one with with alcohol, but that causes serious neurological problems and uh, memory loss. So, just people aren't functioning at a kind of at their peak when they're deciding that they don't want to get better. So that's what what's so frustrating that nutrition isn't used as one of the major tools in rehab. So, what is a a protocol that you would start with someone, so obviously it's going to be generic because it depends on the individual sitting in front of you, but how do you, you know, there are bound to be some basic restorative things that you do to help clients that are in this state. They're going to be simple. One of the key things to do right in the beginning is to work on um, blood sugar management because 
it's that that once you've got the blood sugar levels a bit more under control, although that can take years, um, but that helps so much with cravings because as soon as you start, as, as soon as your blood sugar levels drop, that's when you'll start reaching for the next drink or the next cigarette or the next um, whatever drug of choice because you're wanting to get your blood sugar levels up again. So that is that is probably the first key thing. And then I would look at a really good multivitamin. Magnesium is always huge. Uh, magnesium, uh, we all know the role of magnesium. And then depending on what drugs the person has been taking, including alcohol, then you would look quite carefully at um, what kind of amino acids to supplement with. But obviously, none of this is going to work unless the gut is functioning a bit better. So that would be the first thing is just trying to make sure, and that would come along with the blood sugar balance as well, just making sure that people are eating small, regular meals that are rich in protein, rich in healthy fats. Initially, complex carbs, too many vegetables and fruit may be a bit of an issue depending on the state of their gut, but building that up really. Um, so that's the first thing that you need to do is blood sugar balance and sorting out the gut health. Sugar low goes slow. That all, you know, it's the, yeah. the forever thing that we're focusing on, isn't it, really? Yeah. And um, usually sleep is pretty good in the beginning because your, your body's doing a lot of repair, but then it goes completely haywire again. Oh, right. And so, so there's a lot of support that needs to be done around sleep. It's just why it's just why your neurotransmitters are rectifying themselves. The balance, while while the balance is getting rectified, everything goes a bit crazy. So there's a lot of support that needs to be done. Adrenal support as well usually comes a bit later later on. Right. So you've got an actual approach and how you take this through because the body is going to be reacting. It's as you say, everything's sort of being rectified because you're starting to feed the body with nutrients that it have been so it so desperately needs yeah i mean i don't even touch on liver damage yeah. here either yeah yeah or heart or bone you know there's so many yeah. things you could just go on and on am i right in that you've got sort of phases of how you take people through their own journey to getting control of their health and well-being yes and it absolutely depends on the individual as well um, at what pace you can go at. Mm, I'm sure. I'm sure there, there are a variety of things. So so have you got, I've noticed um, on your Instagram page, you've had, you've shared some really interesting things. First of all, I liked your 30 things about your recovery. I thought that was really very touching and brave and informative. So what are you doing and how are you helping people? What are the different ways you're doing this right now? Uh, well, as you mentioned previously, I have been running workshops and unfortunately that's been put on hold at the moment because they were going really well. And uh, although my previous business was a training and conference business, I had never done public speaking myself. I used to organize the other speakers and write the conference programs and market them. And uh, I had a complete phobia about public speaking and took myself off on a public speaking course a couple of years ago. And and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I suppose it's because it's something that I really, really care about. And um, I've been loving the workshops and I really don't want to do them online. I've, I'm finding myself so resistant to the idea. 
So I'm just having to, I'm just sitting tight before I'm making any plans to do online ones because I've been really enjoying the interaction that I've been having with, with the participants. And that's the feedback that they've given me as well is that it's the, it's the interaction that they're finding so useful as well. So I know I have to get my head around it. I know it has to be done online. There's nothing else we can do at the moment. And um, I think it is a very useful way of getting the message across of how nutrition can support mental health and also um, addiction recovery. So I will continue doing them, but I just have to get out there and do it online. I think just from the information that you've shared in this session has been absolutely fantastic. And I know it's going to be invaluable for practitioners that are sitting there and listening to what you're sharing. But I think from a client standpoint, it because people are going to be so isolated, and you and I were talking about that before we started recording, one of the things that we're really mindful of is that everyone is going to be isolated and how can we support people through that? And I think you have a great deal to offer from that just because of your own knowledge, your your own experience and what you're focusing on in your work. And that it's a great platform for you to continue your speaking. And you're good. <laughs> it is. I know. I know. <laughs> it's just, just this feeling that I'd been working so hard to get to this point and then suddenly I have to change direction. So I'm just taking a bit of a, a breather um, and then I'll get out there again. I plan to reschedule the event that I had coming up in May, which was doing really well. And I changed it from, it had initially been an evening workshop, but people had said that they wanted a lot more time to discuss and talk amongst themselves Um so I've made it into a full day one, but I'll find a way around that. I'll do it a series of lectures, I think. Yeah. Well, I think they look really interesting. So I think we all right now as as in as people, as practitioners, as a society, we're ha- we're finding we're in a new world and it's how we manage that and utilize the online platform, but then getting back into the world of interaction with each other. And how do we manage that fear that people have of, are you going to spread germs? So really interesting times ahead for us, for all of us. I think so. And uh, it's good to adapt. It's good for us. Yeah. Keeps our minds fresh and young, which is what we need. What can we do to help you? I would be delighted to promote you. But as as practitioners, how can we help you, Lindsay? What can we do? I think just to spread the word that nutrition plays a really important role in addiction recovery. And the fact that I've had an addiction myself, actually, I I was also terribly addicted to uh, nicotine. It was was harder to give up than the alcohol, actually, in the end. that I'm here to help, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think people do find it really useful, knowing, helpful that I've had an addiction myself. Um, so, yes, I think it's just a case of spreading the word, but I'm always happy to work in collaboration as well. I've, okay. Honestly, I think, I think the more we talk to people about nutritional therapy and how important it is to our, to our health to our environment to it's just it's just critical you know the more the more we talk about it the better yeah totally agree totally agree okay well 
thank you so much. I think we'll, what we'll do is in the show notes, I, I know you've promoted a couple of papers on your Instagram feed so I might put those in the links but I'll definitely have your website and if you've got any events that we can share because you're up in Manchester any events that uh, those of us can help spread the word about what you're doing because it is so important and it's you know utilizing food as as a means of helping support our nutritional well-being but our mental health and to help us overcome any addictions is such a vital thing the food and lifestyle changes as always are so important but i really appreciate your being on and taking the time out with me and and having the courage to talk about it because it takes a lot of courage it's your story yeah <laughs> you said before we all have interesting stories and um yeah and you look amazing I mean, you absolutely look fantastic. So as uh, you were saying, you're 52. You look fantastic. And I think that's something to stand up and feel proud of, that you can show that to others as a sense of, I have been able to do this so we can all unite together and help each other get, get there. So thank you so much for being such an inspiration. Okay, well, thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your taking the time out to listen to Lindsay's story and also the information she had to share with us on how to support clients dealing with addiction. If you have any questions for me or Lindsay, all that information will be provided in the show notes, as will ways to get in touch with both of us on social media platforms. I'd like to ask you to do a couple of things, as always. One is to give me some feedback. Let me know if I'm striking the right chord, because at the end of the day, these podcasts are here for you. They're here to support, collaborate, communicate, and educate and inspire one another. So do let me know how I'm doing. I'd also like to ask you to subscribe to these podcasts. That always helps. And to put a date in your diary, because don't forget, Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are hosting an event on Saturday, 19th September in Bristol at Engineer's House. We are hosting an event on the multifaceted effect of gut health. We're going to be going from science to clinical practice and we have exciting speakers on board such as Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips and author Tanya Borowski. We are also thrilled to say we have sponsors on board such as Genova Diagnostics and Nutrigold. And we can't forget to mention one of our key supporters, the Alliance for Natural Health. So I hope you'll put that date in your diary. I'd also like to say right now, each and every one of us is going through a most extraordinary time with the COVID-19 virus. So I'd like to wish each and every one of you the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.